was a church with so many good qualities. Even Christ himself could find no room for improvement. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to the ancient church of Philadelphia. As we'll see, the amazing love of these early Christians is matched only by the amazing promises Jesus makes to them. With the conclusion of his message, The Faithful Church, here's David. Well, thank you for joining us today. As I mentioned to you yesterday, we're talking about my favorite church of the seven churches in Revelation, the faithful church, the Church of Philadelphia, the Church of the Open Door. I've often taught this passage in this particular letter to my own church to remind us that God has opened the door for us to do many things that we would never have dreamed of on our own. And the church in Philadelphia was that church. They had a door open to them for ministry, and God did the opening, and God did the blessing, and the church was involved. So we'll get back to Revelation 3, 7 to 13 in just a moment. The Book of Signs is our resource for the month of March. Um, It's a guide to biblical prophecy uh, written in a way that you will really be intrigued by because every chapter is a message in itself, and yet it all fits together. And every chapter is written like an article you would read in a magazine or in a newspaper. It's not a sermon, although there are sermonic uh, aspects to it. We've written this with uh, key stories and illustrations, contemporary applications, We want you to understand what the Scripture says, because we know when you do, it will make a difference in your life. So when you send a gift to Turning Point during this month, this month of March, be sure and ask for your copy of the Book of Signs. It's 463 pages of information to help you, information to share with others, information from God about what's going to happen next. It's our way of saying thank you, and I hope you'll give us the opportunity. Let's open our Bibles once again to Revelation 3 and verse 7. We're talking about the faithful church of Philadelphia. Notice a very strange word here in the third chapter about another quality of this church. Is what it says. It says, you have an open door. But... Then it says in verse 8, in the end of the verse, for you have little strength. That sounds like a backward compliment, doesn't it? I mean, you don't usually feel complimented if somebody says you have little strength. But here is what the Lord says to this church. You have a great opportunity. You have a great open door. And let me tell you something else that I really like about you as a church. You have little strength. The term in the original language carries the thought of but little strength. In other words, it is not that the church still has a little strength and thus can function to some degree. Rather, what the Lord is saying is it has but little strength in itself so that the source of its power must ultimately depend upon the Lord. The Lord alone opens the door and the Lord alone gives the increase. And if you have a little strength, it's okay Because if you have a little strength, you're going to depend on his strength. It is when you have big strength and it's yours (laughs) that you're in trouble. It's when you're depending on your building and your budget or your staff or all of your ideas or your organizational plan or your outreach or all of the rest. And the strength is not in the Lord, but it's in you. The Bible says the church of Philadelphia had little strength. They were not much if you looked at them from the outside, but they were mighty in the hands of God. Isn't it interesting that 
we watch church growth and we watch the way churches function and sometimes we see a church just blow up and become huge overnight and then it goes away. What happens if you're not careful is if God blesses a church, if you're not careful, you think it's because of you. (laughs) And you forget that God is the sovereign one of the church, that he's the one who blesses. He's the one who opens the door and shuts the door. And oftentimes when God opens the door and we walk through that door, if we don't know who we are in Christ, we begin to think it's about us and that it's all our doing and not his. So the second thing that was true of this church, it was a door of opportunity opened by God, a sense of powerlessness without God. Thirdly, it had a commitment to the word of God. Notice verse 8, you have kept my word. The church believed the Bible to be authoritative and they kept the word of God. When the word of God is taken out of the center place in the church, everything else goes away. People say, why are the marriages of Christians, why are they in such trouble, just like the world? And the question is very easily answered. When was the last time you heard a pastor teach what the Bible says about what marriage should look like for a Christian? When was the last time the word of God was open and somebody said, thus saith the Lord? So you see, if you take the word of God out of the center, all these other things, they all are a part of the fallout. When the word of God is gone, you don't have the right attitude toward Israel because you don't know what the Bible says about Israel. You'd be surprised how many people I've run into who didn't even know there was anything in the Bible about how we should treat Israel. (laughs) When you don't know what the Bible says about marriage, it goes south. When you don't know anything about what the Bible says concerning the church, it loses its influence. So the interesting thing about this church that's so critical, and I found it to be so important because of what I've been living through, the Bible says one of the reasons why this church was blessed of God was they kept the word. That means they kept it at the center. Not only did they keep it in the church, they kept it in their own lives. They followed the word of God. And then there was a deep loyalty to Jesus Christ, once again, and have not denied my name. There was much controversy toward the end of the Philadelphian period about the deity of Christ. But the Christians in Philadelphia stood strong in their belief as to who Jesus was. They believed that he was God in the flesh, the Lord and Savior of mankind. They said, we believe Jesus Christ is the Lord God and we will not deny his name. You remember in the Roman Empire, they were intrigued to go and say, Caesar is Lord. Remember that? They were to go to the altar with a pinch of incense and they were asked to deny Jesus by saying, Caesar is Lord. And the people in Philadelphia wouldn't do that. They would not deny their Lord. They stood for the Lord. So when you look back at these qualities, what does a church look like if God is blessing it? What does a church look like if it's in the place where God can open the door for many opportunities? Well, First of all, the church realizes that God has opened the door. The church realizes that they are powerless if God doesn't enable them to do what he's called them to do. The church is committed to the word of God and they're loyal to Jesus Christ. If a church will do those four things, they put themselves in a position where God can do great things through that church. Now, here's what Jesus said to this church beginning in verse 9. Here's his declaration to the church in Philadelphia. 
First of all, he promises to humiliate their enemies. He says, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Once again, we run into these troublemaking Jews that were making their rounds to the churches of Asia Minor, coming alongside and saying that they were in apostolic succession or that they came by the hand of God And the Lord Jesus says to the church of Philadelphia, don't you worry about those people. I'll take care of them. Revelation 2, 9 says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Now here in the church in Philadelphia, he mentions them again, but he's no longer talking about tolerating them. Now he promises this church that he'll humiliate them. He says, I will make them come and worship before your feet. Someone has pointed out that the Apostle Paul is a good illustration of this truth. He started out persecuting the church, trying to kill or imprison Christians. But during one persecution mission on his way to Damascus, the Lord arrested him and wouldn't let him arrest the Christians. And the next thing we know, this persecutor had become a worshiper and a champion for the cause of Jesus Christ. The Lord promises this church that he will humiliate their enemies. Did you know when you're living for the Lord and trying to do the best you can to follow his leadership, he fights your battles for you, doesn't he? It's not you that fight the battle. It's the Lord that fights. The battle is the Lord's. We always are trying to fight the battles, and we think the battles are other people, and then we get into trouble. We fight other people, and the battles aren't people. We don't fight against flesh and blood. That's what the Scripture says. Our battles are not against other people. Our battles are against the prince of the power of the air, who with his minions comes against the work of God. And we're not capable of fighting those battles. Only the Lord Jesus can fight those battles. He promises to humiliate their enemies. He promises to keep them from the hour of trial. And I want to just focus in on here because this is a really key verse in the New Testament. And it's way beyond just what it means to Philadelphia. Philadelphia is representative of the church. Let me just give you this little picture. If you study the book of Revelation... The church is mentioned in 1 through 4. After chapter 5, it's never mentioned again in the whole Bible. After that point in time, you never hear the church mentioned again all the way through the book of Revelation. Why? Because that's all about the tribulation. That's all about what God is doing on the earth. Where's the church, friends? Church is in heaven. So he writes about the church up until the time of the rapture, and then the church is in heaven, and the rest of the book of Revelation is all about the tribulation when the church is not present. And now here in this wonderful passage of Revelation 3.10, he gives a promise to the people in Philadelphia, which extends to us, and I want you to see it. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Please note that even though this is a letter addressed to an individual church, it is not a promise that has to do with regional persecution. He is not saying to the church of Philadelphia, I'm going to keep you from persecution that's going to come into your vicinity. No, he says, I will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world. This is not a local thing he's talking about. This is a universal thing. This is not a special hour of trial which is going to come and go away in which there would be safety. No, this is a promise to the church of Philadelphia and to the church which is represented by this church in history 
that the Lord God has a special plan that will keep them from ever experiencing the tribulation. Now, you all know I'm a pre-tribulational preacher. If you don't know what that means, that means I believe that Jesus is going to come back before the tribulation happens on this earth. Some people believe he's going to come back in the middle of the tribulation. Some people believe he's coming back after the tribulation. Some people think we're already in the tribulation. But the Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back before the tribulation to take us home. Notice this promise. I will keep you from the hour of trial. I want you to notice carefully what the Bible teaches. The Lord is addressing this letter to the church in Philadelphia, the true church of the last days. And he says to these true believers, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. The phrase hour of trial can be translated by the words hour of testing. And it is certainly a reference to the tribulation period that's going to come in the future. And here is a promise that the Lord gives to the church that he will deliver us from the tribulation period. Now, there are some people who think that what the Lord Jesus is teaching us is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who went into the fire, and then they came to see them, and they found that the Lord was in the fire with them. But the Bible doesn't say, I will keep you in the trial. It doesn't say that. The Bible says, I will keep you, what's the word? From the trial. You won't even get in the trial. I'm not going to be there with you in the midst of it like he is with us in the midst of our trials now. The Bible says that in the future, he's going to keep us from ever being in the trial at all, completely away from it. I want you to notice what the Bible says. The Bible does not say, I will keep you through the hour of testing. The Bible says, I will keep you from the hour of testing. And the word there means, I will keep you clear away from it. You won't be in it. You won't be near it. You will be kept clear away from it. You're not going to go through the tribulation. You just need to know that we are pre-tribulational, and that's one of the reasons we believe the Bible teaches the church will never go through the tribulation. The Bible says, if you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say some condemnation. It doesn't say a little tribulation. It says how much? No. No condemnation. You say, Pastor, what do you call what I'm going through right now if it's not tribulation? I'm talking about worldwide tribulation that's going to try this earth. And some have said the church will be preserved through the tribulation. But Jesus said to the church in Philadelphia, I will keep you from the hour of tribulation. The method of keeping from the hour is by removing us from the sphere in which the testing will take place. Here we have a clear promise to the church that he would keep her away from the time when the tribulation would come upon the world. And in the book of Revelation, in chapters 1 through 3 of the book, we get the word church 19 times. But after you get to chapter 4, where the tribulation starts, the church is not mentioned one more time in the whole book. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because we're taken away from the tribulation. We're not a part of the tribulation story. We're going to be in heaven. Now, if you don't believe that's the way this should be interpreted, I just want to tell you, you'll get it straight on the way up. Amen? <laughs> Amen? I tell people all the time, I believe with all my heart, this is the clear teaching of the Word of God, that if we're Christians, once we accept Christ, the Bible says that those who have accepted Christ, one day the heavens are going to part, Jesus is going to come back, we'll be caught up to be with him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 
And I've told you before, I believe I'm going to be here when that happens. I tell everyone I'm looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker. Amen? Amen. I want to go up. And I believe that's going to happen. So if I go up in the rapture and the tribulation doesn't start until after that, where am I going to be when the tribulation happens? I'm going to be in heaven with the Lord. And this promise to the church of Philadelphia, which represents the church of the last age, is an incredible moment because just before the tribulation starts in the book of Revelation, here in this verse, we're given this wonderful promise that Almighty God has made provision to keep us from the hour of testing. If you read about the tribulation, you can give it but one title. It is a time of condemnation, and the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, he promises to humiliate their enemies, to keep them from the hour of trial, and then he promises finally to come quickly. Notice what he says. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Let me ask you, what does it mean? Jesus said to the people when he wrote the book of Revelation through John on the Isle of Patmos, he said, Behold, I come quickly. Wouldn't you think that would mean he was going to come immediately? Quickly doesn't mean immediately in the scope of time. It means that when he comes, it's going to happen quickly. (laughs) In the moment, in the twinkling of the eye. At the last trump, says the writer to the book of Corinthians. His coming is going to be momentary. He's going to come quickly. I want to tell you the story in closing about the power of the Word of God. You know, we're on the radio every day on 2,000 radio stations in America. Many of them were on two or three times a day. So there are 5,000 programs of Turning Point on the radio in America every day. Of the week, and we're on in many other places. We started in Mandarin Chinese, and we got our first letters back from China after they heard the word of God. You know what the letter said, dear Pastor Jeremiah? Can you tell me who the Holy Spirit is? I have never heard of Him. Could you explain Him to me? I wept when I read that. The word of God is just going everywhere. Anyway. I have so many stories I could tell you about the power of the Word of God, but here's one I hope you won't forget. I was asked to go speak some years ago at the prayer breakfast in West Alabama. We slept there that night and got up for this breakfast, and when we got to the breakfast, the man who had organized it and invited me to come to speak said, Dr. Jeremiah, there's a man who's driven many miles to see you. He wants to talk with you before the breakfast if you're okay with it. And I said, Okay. He said, I need to tell you, he's pretty rough. His name is Red. He says, I can't tell you what he's going to talk to you about, but I just need to kind of warn you. He's a little bit unorthodox. So I went in the back of the room, and there he was, big red. He had long red hair tied in a ponytail that went all the way down past his waist. Big, burly guy. When I shook hands with him, he about broke my arm. He was one strong dude. And this is what he told me. He said, you know, Dr. Jeremiah, I asked if I could see you because I wanted to tell you my story. He said, I've ruined my life through my drinking, my drug addiction, my playing around on my family and my wife. He said, I had nothing left. He said, I was living in a trailer that somehow I had gotten. And he said, believe it or not, my trailer was repossessed one day uh, several months ago. 
And he said, I was at the end of my time. I figured I was of no worth to anybody on this earth, and I might as well just take my life and get it over with. And he said, I decided how I was going to do it. He said, every day when I would drive to work, I went down this two-lane highway, and there was a place on this highway, there was a hairpin turn. I often thought if somebody were ever going really fast down this road, and they didn't make that turn, they would hit a tree. There was a big oak tree on the other side of it. And he said, I thought, well, I've spent most of my life driving a truck. That's the way I'm going to end my life. So he said, I decided on a certain day I would go to the end of that road and I would get up as much speed as I could till I got to that hairpin and I would just not negotiate the turn and hit the tree and it would be over. So he said, I lookered myself up the best I could, got in my truck, drove it to the end of the road, and I decided I would turn on my radio and listen to rock and roll music as loud as I could so I wouldn't be able to think about anything. And he said, I turned on my radio, and I'll just tell you what he said. And he said, the damn thing wouldn't work. <laughs> and then he said, and it really made me mad. He said, it's just like a picture of my life. Nothing I tried ever worked. And so he said, I just was so furious. I took my fist, and he said, I went, bam, into the radio. And he said, when I did a voice came on and it wasn't the rock and roll station it was some guy saying you may be thinking about taking your life right now but don't you do it because God loves you and he has a purpose and plan for your life and he said Dr. Jeremiah that was you he said I sat there with tears running down my face as I heard the word of God being taught on that radio program he said I never even gave another thought to running my car into a tree. He said, I went home, and he said, the next day, I made sure I was listening again, and he said, I started listening every day. He said, and I guess I should tell you, God has saved me. And he said, now I have a Bible study in the prison where I have spent some time. He said, I wish I could tell you I've got my family back. That hasn't happened. But he said, I got my life back, and it was the Word of God that did it. Now, I want to ask you something. Do you know anything else that can do that? I don't. And that's just one little story among many stories that I hear every week of how God's Word, through the radio, through television, through a magazine we produce, through the other stuff that we do, and through the preaching of this church, which now is streamed all over the world. Did you know that? Our services are streamed all over the world. So our missionaries who are out on the foreign field, they come to church with us every week, not by delay, just at a different time than we do it because of the time changes. And God's Word just keeps doing what it does. And that's why I believe God has given us an open door. And I don't think he's finished with you. I don't think he's finished with me. I believe God wants to see us go way beyond where we've ever dreamed. If we'll be faithful to this book and faithful to the Lord of this book, there is no limit to what he can do. Age is not a barrier. Time is not a barrier. Place is not a barrier. There are no barriers. For the Word of God is powerful. It's living, sharper than any two-edged sword. And the Bible says he will never allow it to go out and return unto him without accomplishing what he sent it to do. So when we teach the Word of God and preach the Word of God and fund the Word of God like we do, we're setting loose the most powerful influence that the world has ever seen. And I'm so grateful for all of you who make it possible by your presence, by your sacrifice, by your service. 
And that includes so many of you listening to us today who help us get the Word of God out. The two eternal things, the souls of men, the Word of God, come together through the ministry of Turning Point, and what happens is amazing. If you could just sit with me and read the emails that we receive during a given day or a given week, you'd be uh, as amazed as I continue to be that when God's Word touches somebody, and oftentimes when they're at a fork in the road, God's Word teaches them, helps them, challenges them, motivates them to do the right thing, and it's life-changing. And uh, so many stories we could tell of the power of the Word of God. Well, let me uh, remind you at the end of today's program that we have a magazine that we publish. We don't talk about it nearly enough. And uh, you can get that magazine sent to your home. It's a wonderful way to enhance your walk with the Lord. Ask about it when you call or write or go to our website and you'll find out about it there. DavidJeremiah.org. See you tomorrow. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, please let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, The Book of Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries and instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue The Seven Churches of Revelation here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we're living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. The early American intellectual Benjamin Franklin once elaborated on something the Bible teaches. He wrote, love your enemies for they tell you your faults. That's a good point. And here's another. God tells us how our spiritual enemy will attack by the armor he gives us. In Ephesians chapter 6, 
The Apostle Paul tells us where Satan is most likely to attack by outlining the kinds of armor we should put on. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, certainty of salvation, and the Word of God. Those defenses are listed because Satan attacks with lies, temptations to sin, insecurity, unbelief, doubt, and false doctrine. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how to put on God's spiritual armor on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.